Hi folks, this is E.C. McKinley and welcome to Advice to the Young Preacher. My name is Bishop E.C. McKinley. I am a retired minister of 40 years and I have with me today the pastor of the Spring Street Church of God of Prophecy, Pastor Lindsay Schreiber. So how are you today? Doing good. Good. This is part two of the study of the books of Timothy and I want to start off today by just letting you know some of the background of this book. This book, uh, the book of 1 Timothy, was written by the Apostle Paul. All, um, all theologians believe uh, the same on that. That it's written by the Apostle Paul to his a young minister who he is mentoring, has mentored. He was a friend of uh, the parents of this young man and the grandparents, Eunice and Lois, and in this uh, book, it's a very relevant book for this time that we're living in right now, especially when we get later into it. But it's important to know the benefit of a mentor and a men mentor or a protege relationship. So Pastor Lindsay, um, read the verse and the question that you have, if you would, please. Okay, I think we're gonna kind of slow crawl through this letter um, and just glean what it is that Paul was trying to portray, because uh, I think it still applies to us now. I'm going to start off in 1 Timothy 1, sorry, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith, which that little caveat at the end tells me that what they were teaching was something other than faith. Right. They were teaching the genealogies, I'm guessing, probably meant uh, they were using their lineage to determine their righteousness. Yes, which was kind of a throwback to the law uh, of Moses that uh, Jewish people of that day uh, believed, and still they believe the Old Testament. They just do not accept that Jesus is the Messiah. However, in this book, when he's writing this, he's trying to, um, to teach them that how, how important it is as he's leaving a letter. Now, there's some theologians that argue this was for the moment that Timothy was living in and others that it was for some unforeseen time. But I think it's both. They were depending on the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, everything in the first five books of the Old Testament, as well as the laws and the rules and the regulations that they had added to it. There was um, 318 laws, 365 were thou shalt not, and the rest thou shalt. So. Paul was saying, instead of building all of your time on an old promise, the Old Testament, to build the new covenant that God has made with Israel mm -hmm. and by extension the Gentiles, mm -hmm. which is the covenant of how to find salvation and to live eternally with God and please Him. I think it's interesting there at the beginning of the passage I just read, he says, uh, Paul said, well, I was leaving and I told you to stay to command certain people, which which is saying, you know who I'm talking about, mm -hmm. um, do not teach false doctrines any longer, which tells me they were teaching the false doctrines when Paul was there. Right. 
And Paul said, and I'm leaving it now in your hands. And Ephesus was known as a, uh, a, a center of worship for pagan gods, for false gods. And as well, they were trying to do uh, a little thing that, that is done a lot today. They tried to uh, marry teachings and promises and do's and don'ts mm -hmm. of the goddess Diana and at the same time try to use the word of God. Mm -hmm. And so what they were coming up with, they were coming up with all kinds of new theories, all kinds of new practices. And as we know, uh, Paul also said at one point, he said, Cursed be those who teach any other gospel mm -hmm. than the gospel that I teach. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to make sure they understood as he was departing. And you know, on these trips, these apostolic trips, uh, Paul never knew when he was going to be brought to the end of his career, mm -hmm. so to speak. And there were many people, including religious and non-religious, that wanted to end his life for him. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were like, you want to go to heaven? Okay, we're going to set up the appointment. No. And so, uh, so remember that, that there's all kind. This, there's the spectrum of from pagan all the way over to Old Testament mm -hmm. and people blending those doctrines and teachings and myths and fables. And Paul was trying to say, you need to stick to the true gospel mm -hmm. Do not teach false doctrine as some are doing. Mm -hmm. and, and I agree with you that he probably knew who it was, mm -hmm. just didn't name them in this, in this letter. But I believe that's what he was doing. Yeah. Um, and you said that some theologians think this was just an epistle for that moment for Timothy. Um, I don't think it would be in the Bible for all of us if it wasn't for all of us and times that we would face. But I look at that, that Paul was leaving him um, and that's a frustrating thing when you feel like you're looking to the person that you think they should be able to handle this, and they say, oh, no, you're going to handle it this time. Right. They're leaving it to you. Well, Paul goes on in verse 5, and he says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Right. And I'm looking at that. I, you can give me your opinions. I think it, I could take that one two ways in my mind. One he was maybe having to reassure Timothy in that moment. Because mm -hmm. it seems like he's always reassuring Timothy, you, you've got this, you can do it. Right. Uh, I sort of uh, think in a way where he says, um, you know, just like I told you in that situation, I'm continuing to tell you, keep the course, do this thing that, that seems very difficult. I left you to do it because I trusted the Holy Spirit knew that you could do it. And he's saying, I'm giving these, these commands to you because I love you, not because I'm abandoning you, uh, but because I'm making that space for you to do your ministry. Right. I also can look at it another way and say, this command comes from love and a pure heart because I wonder if, if Paul met resistance from people. We see something very similar today, what you were discussing, where you take part myth, part opinion, and then you say, well, I could... I could twist the word to make it fit here. Right. Um, preachers do that all the time to fill their pulpit or to fill their uh, auditoriums while they preach. They preach the things people want to hear. Uh, they make things okay uh, that's going on culturally. They find some way to twist God's word to make it fit. And then when you're the minister who stands up and says, no, that doesn't fit and we're not going down that path, uh, you can get a lot of kickback. So I wonder, maybe Paul was also saying that to explain to Timothy, Timothy, I'm not trying to be harsh about this. I have a very clear conscience of what right. I'm telling you. 
Right. And, and over the years, in, in my 25 years as a, uh, a denominational executive, there were many times as the bishop of a state that there were pastors who were teaching a doctrine that was not correct. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they ever started off intentionally to uh, create a problem or, or even intentionally to, um, to preach a false doctrine. But I believe what happened to them was, I believe that in this desire to see growth, in this mm -hmm. desire to see people come in, they felt, that they felt this constant need to outdo the next preacher in town or the next TV preacher mm -hmm. and, and come up with a, a fascinating sermon, come mm -hmm. up with a sermon that's filled with all kinds of stories and, uh, you know, twisting. Uh, you know, the Old Testament tells us that, uh, in, that the, Old, the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament was written for our learning. It was mm -hmm. a schoolmaster mm -hmm. to bring us to Christ, to bring us to faith. However, there are some people that would twist those things. Mm -hmm. You take uh, stories out of the Old Testament, uh, starting with, uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Moses, uh, David. You go through all these things, and real-life things happened to them mm -hmm. that had a spiritual implication and a spiritual meaning, which is why I believe God preserved them for our learning, to be a schoolmaster. But I've seen them twist these stories and especially in the New Testament, twist the parables mm -hmm. to mean something they never did, the writer never did intend mm -hmm. for that to mean. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, the truth is it's hard to tell people sometimes that they're wrong. Well, It's hard when you got people in your church, if you're pastoring a church and you've got, you know, 10 faithful people right. and you know one is doing something that you know is not right, it's, it's difficult and sometimes people bow to that pressure and they try to make it not wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah, they can they can twist it. They try to be in a neutral place, and mm -hmm. uh, but you know the the idea is that if you see someone who is about to sin, mm -hmm. if you're spiritual, you should try to help that person. Yeah, you should try to keep them from falling into false doctrine, and there's ways of doing that. I found any number of ways over um, over the years to approach this subject to broach it with the, especially a younger minister. But you know, there were older ministers too that they would preach myths and fables and they mm -hmm. would preach things that, that were not biblically sound. They, were not, they would not stand the uh, exegesis of a, per, a certain verse or a certain mm -hmm. story. And, and so there were some that said, well, I, I got to do what God says mm -hmm. in what, instead of what man says. Mm -hmm. What greater way for the devil mm -hmm. to come along and to introduce a false doctrine mm -hmm. into the church mm -hmm. and say, um, well, this is, I'm not going to obey the bishop. I'm not going to listen mm -hmm. to what he says. I'm not going to say what the others in the congregation are trying to reason with me, but I'm preaching what God says. Well, you know, it's going to be a terrible thing one day mm -hmm. when they are face to face with the consequences of twisting God's word. Mm -hmm. Well, and part of those fables and myths gets passed down because people don't study God's word for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's what they were taught a long time ago, and they've just leaned on what somebody told them, and they believed what that person said, and they they continue to share it. Uh, the example that comes to my mind, you know, I just preached a series where I talked about heaven and hell very 
uh, very specifically. Yes, you did. And I, I went as deep as I could, and I know I could tell by people's faces I was introducing. I was really rocking some of their bad theology <laughs> um, because they, they've been taught certain things about heaven. They've been taught certain things about hell that are just not true, and it's not that hard to read the Word and to know the things they believed were not true. Um, but somebody said it to them in a time to comfort them because they were they were hurting, yeah. and and I'm looking at them and I'm just I'm busting their little bubbles all you know over the place. My, you know my the one that I I hate to hear, mm -hmm. but it happens so often is mm -hmm. when there's a sudden death of a loved one, mm -hmm. especially when it was not expected. Yeah, and someone comes along and says to them, "Oh, God needed another angel oh, to sing in His yeah. choir." Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And there is no biblical basis where mm -hmm. God needed a bass or a soprano, <laughs> you know what I mean, in, in the heavenly choir. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those kind of things, well-meaning mm -hmm. as they are, mm -hmm. they are detrimental to a person's faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, I, and he goes on, verse 6, he says, Some have departed from these. Uh, meaning had departed from the, the good conscience and sincere faith and a pure heart. And he said, they have turned to meaningless talk. Uh -huh. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about yeah. and what they so confidently affirm. Now, you're, you're using the NIV. No, that's a New King James. New King James. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's read that in the King James Version. You started where? I started at verse 5. At verse 5. I'm sorry, at verse 6. Okay, verse 6. So listen to what has been um, considered more beautiful language than Shakespeare, the uh -huh. King James Version. Uh -huh. So verse 6 says, <laughs> I know you don't agree, from which some having swerved, think about mm -hmm. swerving away from something, yeah. have swerved, which means to me an intentional mm -hmm. correction of something. That some have swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling, mm -hmm. desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Mm -hmm. So I, that, that verse 8, it should be in the, our next question or mm -hmm. two. But that's talking. But, you know, in, in the world today, in the public school system and in most private colleges and universities, uh, the teacher must pass certain standards in able to, be, in able to teach. Mm -hmm. they, they must uh, pass a state examination that gives them, in addition to their degrees, it gives them, they must have a teaching certificate mm -hmm. as well. And today you see a dumbing down uh, where some states, I just heard a report this morning of one state is trying to lower the standards for the teacher mm -hmm. so that I guess because of those that are lazy or whatever, they say it's because <laughs> of the... To get more the, teachers. Yeah, to get more teachers. But they say it's the lack of teachers. Uh, but but the problem is mm -hmm. you, you cannot dumb down the Scripture. You, mm -hmm. just, you might be able to do it in a secular world, but the Scripture is a standard that is the standard mm -hmm. for whatever you're going to do. Um, I think, I was looking up another scripture here, but I think when I, when I, that word swerve to me, when mm -hmm. you swerve, you're avoiding something that's going to obstruct right. in your path. So uh, following that out, it seems like what he's saying is that there were teachers and preachers um, 
that that they had to they had to swerve and change direction because they were about to hit something that was going to exactly. s- slow down their agenda exactly. or their plan of what they were trying to get to. Well, think of it this way: think of swerving as a roadblock mm-hmm. that God throws in someone's way to keep mm-hmm. them from failing, but yeah. yet they ignore the roadblock. They swerve to miss it, and if you do that today's world, you may end up in a river somewhere. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about, uh, we talked about this verse yesterday in this conversation. Uh, it, when we get to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 and 7 um, is a verse I just keeps coming back to my mind over and over again. He was talking about in the last days, and he said that there would be people who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Exactly. Um, that hearkens to me when he says this about these people want to be teachers of law, but they don't even know what they're talking about. Right. So why would somebody want to be a teacher or a preacher and they don't even know what they're talking about? Well, let me tell you a couple of examples. I, I have known, I knew a man when I started in ministry that I had known a long time. Mm-hmm. Someone I had known since my childhood. And he said he was lazy. He was mm-hmm. basically a lazy man. And he never could hold a job because it, inqu- it required work. Mm-hmm. And so he, in his laziness, he fell on the scheme that, hey, I can go to church and preach a sermon or two a week mm-hmm. and, and I can uh, get me a book of sermons that someone else preached mm-hmm. and, and I, can, I can make an easy living. I'll just lay around the parsonage all week and, uh, and, and I'll just get something up. And, and this, these type of people, you know, in some churches, I guess this is probably not in most of the newer churches today, you'll find what's called a tract rack, Mm -hmm. uh, T-R-A-C-T space Mm R-A-C-K. And a tract rack is where you have tracts on different subjects. Mm -hmm. In our church, there would be uh, salvation, uh, repentance, one on justification, one on regeneration, Mm -hmm. one on what it means to be born again or spirit-filled. And these type preachers, well, I use that word loosely, these Uh type um, people, they will on their way, sometimes on their way into the church, uh-huh. they will reach into that and read it to the congregation mm-hmm. as if they came up to the sermon themselves. Yeah. Now they're kind of dumb because the mm-hmm. same people have access. Mm-hmm. But they think they're smarter they than them. They think they're smarter than them, but the same yeah. people have access. They can grab one of those out of the rack as mm-hmm. well. Today, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. I know uh, of a man who had a, a very large reputation. He traveled mm-hmm. a lot of places, and you could say his name, and it was a well-known name among our circles. Well, this man, one morning, was preaching in a, past, in a church where I was the former pastor of. Mm-hmm. I had been there eight years, and, and the, um, uh, they knew that I tried my best to, to treat the scriptures with respect, mm-hmm. not stretch anything, but always I would study. They would, they would come in and see me study. Mm-hmm. Well, this man gets up and he begins to preach this sermon. And man, it is a good sermon. I mean, it's a powerful sermon. And almost like it's, it's you know, a prophet himself mm-hmm. is speaking to the church. Well, in the middle of this sermon, he tells about a dream he had. Yeah. I had this dream. And in my dream, I was walking down a corridor. And suddenly there was a stairs and it was a cloud. And I mean, you know, he's telling this dream that he has with great detail. Well, a man who I had trained in ministry 
who has since gone to heaven. Mm -hmm. But this man that I had trained in ministry said, you know, that sounds familiar mm -hmm. to something me and or that Brother McKinley and I talked about. Mm -hmm. Well, what it was, this man was word for word preaching a dream of David Wilkerson. Yeah. Because my friend and I had discussed it. Yeah. And, and he said, and he called me. I'm out in the middle of Montana. Uh -huh. He calls me and he says, this, the pastor, he said, I Googled and he said, I noticed, I Googled, he even used the same sermon title as David Wilkerson had used. Well, David Wilkerson's worldwide fame yeah. uh, was a great pastor with a prophetic voice. But, you know, I thought, if you're so stupid, you don't, just, <laughs> you don't even change the name. Well, now you can buy sermons. Well, exactly. But, but what I'm saying is if you're so stupid, <laughs> you're going to steal the man, not only going to steal his sermon, yeah. you're going to steal his dreams. Yeah. If you're that stupid you and not change the name of the sermon, yeah. you deserve to get caught. Do you, know, do you know how many people have argued with me that that's okay? Yeah. They told me it's okay because they told, I've had people say to me that... Um, there's no original ideas. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's weird because I feel like we're serving a Holy Spirit yeah. who is giving new anointing every day. But I've had people say that to me. And here's the thing. When I started in ministry, uh, before I was pastoring, before I was really preaching, the first thing I did, I started blogging. This was about when people were blogging. And, and I had some good traction with my blog. And then I had people start calling me and saying, my pastor preached your blog on Sunday and, and they're using your anecdotes and they're using things that happened with you and they're presenting it as theirs. And of course I find that offensive. You know, I, th this is my whole, my whole thing about it. I have an answer for that, by the way. I will. Well, the Bible says give credit where credit's due, right? right? But my issue is this. I have two problems with it. Number one, you know, like for me, I was trying to, um, present myself as someone who had something to say. Right. And so it's great to tell people about the blog, but tell them where you got it from. Right. Like when I preach, I'll say this came from a commentary. I'm mm -hmm. very careful. I am very, very careful to give credit where it's due always because I don't want people to think it was my thought if it wasn't. But it's dangerous because now you've got that congregation believing that you have this deep divine insight on this subject. So they think they can come and trust you right. to guide them. And it's, it wasn't their thought. So they don't know how to take you, when somebody comes to go deeper into it, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, that's exactly right. And, and I, can, I can tell you two good reasons why to not take someone else word for word and preach it as your own uh -huh. or teach it as your own. Number one is because God is a holy God. Mm -hmm. And God says, you should not steal. Mm -hmm. But when you steal, even if it's something, these are called, today's world, are called intellectual property rights. Yeah. And so, so when someone writes a sermon, preaches a sermon, it's their copyright mm -hmm. if they do it correctly. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have your ministry, Girl Preach LLC, mm -hmm. in, in which you have trademark mm -hmm. rights to something. Mm -hmm. you, have, uh, you have copyright mm -hmm. license. And I do too. Mm -hmm. And so when when you're sitting in your study gloating over how well you have done on this sermon and you just, you've done it so often that you feel it, you begin to believe the lie that it's yours. Yeah. God is a holy God. He mm -hmm. said, I will, there, therefore I will no wise mm -hmm. clear the guilty. But number two, when you go to the mailbox and you open that, law, that letter from a <laughs> lawyer, yeah. 
who says, you have mm -hmm. grossly overused mm -hmm. my client's rights and mm -hmm. privileges under U.S. contract mm -hmm. or U.S. patent or copyright law. Mm -hmm. And they say, I, we believe that we will, if we will settle for $5,000 mm -hmm. or if we must take you to court, mm -hmm. we will ask for a judgment against you uh, from a judge, from mm -hmm. a bench trial, not, yeah. not a jury of your peers, yeah. but a bench trial. And so th those two reasons, number one, it's not holy living. No. And number two, it violates the law. Well, right. and, well, and here's, okay, so like Girl Preach, the reason that we went through the extra legal steps, that was purposeful to protect it because we understand that we live in a time when the wrong interest group yeah. could grab hold of that and now our brand is affected because now you're using it uh, to facilitate, let's say, if, for instance, let's say that becomes a catchphrase in the transgender community. Right. And now they're taking it, and it looks like what we're doing, and it looks like we're associated with something we don't well, agree with. it looks like you're endorsing that. Right. And so there's a reason to be protective. Right. Okay, so let's bring that down to the scale I'm talking about. If I have written a sermon, um, or let's not even go into that. Uh, I, I've had people before things I have preached or taught about spiritual warfare. Right. Okay. And they want to take it and pass it as their, their thing. Mm -hmm. Well, again, the problem becomes you don't really know. Like he says, they want to be teachers, but they don't know what they're talking about. Right. And so now you've got somebody who is uh, acting as if they know about this, and they're going to get into some deep trouble right. because they present themselves as an expert in something they're not an expert in yeah. it's not i think people take it that i'm being prideful and i don't just say it with my own work i say it i get highly offended i see people they will take there, there's people on social media and everybody's like oh you're such a fantastic writer and i will i will copy everything they wrote in their post and i put it in google oh it's a devotional yeah it's a devotional that's been passed off as theirs right. i have a massive problem with that even when it's not my quote unquote my material yeah. but the other thing on that subject is the argument can be, well, if you're a preacher, then it came from God, so it's not yours. Here's the problem with that. Mm -hmm. Acts 2, right. when Peter's talking, Peter doesn't just say, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. He says, this is that. Which the prophet Joel. Yeah, he mm -hmm. credits him, and right. throughout the Bible, you will see that. Throughout Absolutely. the Bible, when there is a reference back. Jesus himself said it. The person speaking will say it will be documented in the Bible to to cross-reference back to where it came from. And obviously, it was God who spoke that through Joel. So Peter, under those people's opinion, uh, they, they could say, well, Peter said that because it was God who gave it to Peter to say. Uh, yeah, but even Peter knew cross-reference back to this right. other person. And it just makes sense to me as a pastor. If I quote somebody, I will tell, just last um, Sunday I quoted Leonard Ravenhill. Right. I want my church to know who that is. Yeah, he's a great writer. I want them to go back and explore who he is. I, I quote Charles Spurgeon a lot. I want them to know who he is. I want to help them expand their knowledge and right. not just be all about me. Right. Um, so back, free association hour here. But, yeah, that's um, how we do. Back to this, this verse, he says, they have departed into this meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. I think, too, not just uh, you're talking about people want to be a preacher because it seems like an easy job. 
which they'll oh, figure out quickly it's, it's not. not. Yeah, you learn that quick on. Um, but I think also people see a certain amount of um, that they could be esteemed or elevated, which is also not the way it is anymore. But in their minds, they think they'll look a certain way if they become uh, viewed as some sort of expert in this area. I've been open, and I don't mean this shady to you or anybody else with, with seminary degrees, what I'm about to say. Um, I don't have a seminary degree. I don't plan on getting one anytime soon. And that's intentional. Right. When I went to school, it was not. It was in uh, quote unquote secular fields of study, and part of the reason is you excluded. And I, when I tell people this, I always exclude you when I tell them to, because uh, you don't have this issue. But I've seen so many people come through seminary, right. and when they get out, they spend all their time talking down to everybody and acting like they know more than everybody else, and they use words with intention to trip people up. Right. And make them think, oh, I know more than you. And I watch those people. And I told the Lord, because at a time I, I explored the thought of seminary, and I might someday, but I told the Lord, if seminary would make me that to where I cannot talk to regular people, then I don't want it. Well, absolutely. And and there's a certain uh, uh, amount of that is 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 not genuine. Uh, I, I have it happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had a Ph.D. since 1996. Mm-hmm and a theological degree as well. Mm-hmm. And I've had people come to me and say, well, that verse means this, and, mm-hmm. and you have to understand the Greek root of this. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I do understand the Greek root of yeah. it. And, and they, try to, they try to make put you off on your back foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they try to uh, make you feel like you're less than they are. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I, I've quoted this so many times that D.L. Moody said, if I were going to bake cookies for the children, I would put it on the shelf mm-hmm. low where they could reach them. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same way. He was a very well-read and educated man, but he said, I make it as simple as mm-hmm. it can be. And after all, now who's our prime example? Is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And didn't Jesus make things just mm-hmm. plain? Mm-hmm. Even in his parables, mm-hmm. they were plain truths that could have been figured out and understood. Yeah. But I'll, I will hear people who, who fancy themselves as great theologians, um, whether because they went to seminary or for whatever reason, and I will listen to the arguments that they have, and I think this is such a massive waste of time. Yeah. And I think that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. He said, these, he said you've got to stop these people because they're talking about things that just don't matter in and the end. Don't know. We're wasting time right. um, having these fights that are not edifying the church. They're not glorifying God. Um, and I, I told you recently about a, a question I've been asked several times, and uh, I was telling you basically where I landed on is this is not going to affect anyone's salvation, so I'm done talking about it. Right. Opinion doesn't really matter in the end. I don't get. I'm not that person who really. Uh, I don't walk away from those conversations like, wow, I just feel so enriched and. Right. That iron just sharpened iron now. Like, no, it didn't. It wasted my time. You've wasted an hour of my time arguing things. I don't, I just, I'm bad for that to just look at someone and say, I don't care. It, right. it doesn't matter. Like, in the end, these genealogies, these myths, this, these these um, opinions of, of Scripture that are true opinion, they just don't matter to me. Well, I've seen you roll your eyes at some of them before. Well. Let, let me take, <laughs> let me give you, a, let me give you another example um, when I started in ministry, before I ever, I think I was uh, earning an undergraduate in my accounting degree at the time, and there was this great teacher 
that was brought to a conference I was a part of, your mother and I. Mm -hmm. And this man is a name that's well known among theological circles today. And so he was presenting this, this, uh, this class and he was interjecting Hebrew and Greek and he was, um, he was trying to make a certain point mm -hmm. that he could have just come out and said what it was, yeah. but he was showing his, his training. He was showing mm -hmm. his, his arrogance at the time. Yeah. And so I raised my hand and I called him my name and I said, uh, do, do you have this written down somewhere, a book or something? Uh, do you have notes of this? He said, uh, no, because I don't want someone uh, possibly in this class to take my notes and my teaching and write their PhD uh, dissertation on it. Mm -hmm. Now remember, I wasn't even going to seminary at the time. Mm -hmm. But I thought, you arrogant cuss. <laughs> you know, you, you stand up there and, and you, you talk down to people when you say you're trying to talk about a Jesus who sat down and made it plain for children to understand. Yeah. yeah. So that's just my pet peeve. I won't go farther <laughs> about that. You might figure out, somebody might figure out who I'm talking about. Well, let, let's carry on. Let, I, I think that this episode, we could end on this last little segment here okay. and pick up the rest of this chapter next week. But verse 8, because I think that plays in what you're saying. We know the law is good if one uses it properly. Right. We also know the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels and the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, liars, and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Um, I think he's reiterating here to Timothy, there's people with real problems. And... Um, in general, I would guess that people who are murderers and idolaters and uh, these practicing homosexuals are probably not terribly interested in uh, sitting down and hearing a debate about how many angels can dance on the, absolutely. the <laughs> well, right? And, and so that's part of my frustration is I've watched people sit in churches and they have debates that just do not matter right. and their family members are going to hell and all they can sit, they just want to sit and argue with, well, how many pieces of jewelry is going to send you over right. that now you're prideful? Or they'll say, if, if, if it doesn't touch the skin, it's not sin. Yeah, right? yeah, or whatever the thing is that, okay, well, I mean, that's, that's being a Pharisee, right? And we're right. hung up on this stuff that just doesn't matter. And he's telling him, you've got to get to the root of the gospel. And if it's not about the gospel, it's got to go. There's not, we don't have a place for it right now. There's not time because these people are out here who need to hear the truth. Right. So um, I wanted to ask you about this. When he says, we know the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers. Okay. You talked earlier, I don't know if you were referencing the same verse, uh, but because you quote in your beloved King James, but yes. Galatians uh, 3, is that where you were at where it says that law was our tutor to bring us to Christ? Right, and I was referencing that. Um, uh, it goes on to say that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. 
So some will take this verse and take that to say, I'm not under law anymore. This usually comes up in the context of holiness, sanctification conversations. I don't have to abide by law. It comes up a lot when people don't want to pay their tithes. Um, I don't have to abide by that law because I'm saved. Although Jesus said you ought to do that. Right. So what say you um, to Paul when he says the law is for the sinner? Well, I have a couple of statements about that. Um, uh, later on, we will read in these uh, books to Timothy, we'll read where Paul says that all Scripture, mm-hmm. all, mm-hmm. and we believe all is from the King James on the front of your Bible all the way to the even so come, amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we an index, but um, I'm joking about that. But, but from Genesis 1 to the last verse of Revelation, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable, right, mm-hmm. for several things, mm-hmm. for reproof, correction, mm-hmm. instruction, and in righteousness, that you may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Well, if, uh, if you think that God has done away with the Old Testament, the law, such as uh, thou shalt have no other gods before, you, before me, mm-hmm. if you say, well, I'm, I'm in faith now, that doesn't apply to me anymore, so I'll get my little God of this world, mm-hmm you know, who sings my favorite song and packs out stadiums. Yeah. Or they'll say, um, are you trying to tell me that when the Bible says uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, that now all of the seven or all of the sudden adultery is okay? Mm-hmm. Well, later on again, we will read where these are works of the flesh. They're not works of faith. They're not works of God's word. So, so that, yes. Uh, it, the, 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 the word is eternal. Jesus said uh, not one jot or one tittle will mm-hmm. be changed in the word that is his word. Jesus referenced the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So when you say, well, we're not under the law so I can live any way that I want to, no, that's not correct. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of, uh, of uh, the book of Romans chapter 7 and where he says, uh, uh, Paul says to the Romans, he says, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. So, you know, at what point do you become so righteous that you don't have to obey what the Old Testament teaches you about things that are eternal, such Mm -hmm. as the law, such as, uh, and by the law, I mean the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. The Ten Commandments are still valid. They still... Uh, they still carry water, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so when, when Paul looks at this and he says, the law is holy. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we say uh, something like, uh, let not a man wear that which pertaineth, appertaineth to a woman. Mm-hmm. That's in the law. Mm-hmm. But then it also says, uh, and I used to argue this point, read on a few verses, and it talks about you're not supposed to wear clothing mingled with linen and yeah. wool. Well, you know, there'd be a whole lot of fashionistas today that would be in trouble. So the law is good when it's used lawfully, Mm -hmm. when it's understood in its context, Mm -hmm. when it's understood that we are under a new covenant Mm -hmm. that was that was sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. But are you saying that uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is not real? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, to, to me, that's just a. 
an asinine way of trying to make your point. Excuse my language, but that is a word. You can read it in the Bible, and it means you're stupid. <laughs> you're, you're stupid if you want to think that all of God's mm -hmm. word is not profitable for us. Mm -hmm. Even those Old Testament verses like the, 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 the sacrifice of, of, of animals, uh -huh. which was replaced by the sacrifice of Christ. Mm -hmm. If you want to argue that kind of stuff with me, you're, argue, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree mm -hmm. in, in my sense because the Bible, uh, Paul said the law is holy mm -hmm. and you rightly divide the word of truth, mm -hmm. right? So you rightly divide it. You don't just take it without uh, consideration, yeah. but you rightly divide the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about the commingling of the, the fabrics, I think it does get, it, it can get tricky if you don't take your time to study the word. All right. Um, so, for instance, I've had people try to say something to me about tattoos. Okay. Okay. Um, now I, you know I got a couple. And I don't. So I'm afraid of needles. Um, but I've had people, they'll always want to use that one verse in Leviticus, which they don't actually, they say, well, it says don't mark your body. Well, it says don't mark your body for the dead, referencing right. pagan practices that were right. happening at the time. And, you know, it, again, it's something I don't really feel like arguing with people about. Right. Um, I will go with that conversation simply because I don't like to see people hammering um they're putting their stuff on someone else. Right. If that's your personal feeling that it's wrong, then don't do it. Don't do it. But don't sit in judgment of the person sitting next to you in the, the service who has a tattoo, right? So I'll go down that line with them just long enough to explain to them, go back and read the verse again, understand why. That, that's always a question I ask is, why do you think it was a problem mm -hmm. that they had a tattoo? And it, why, would they, why would it say that? If that's what it's talking about, then why would it say that? And what's the context today? And from everything I've studied, it had to do with pagan practices right. um, of gashing themselves for the dead. Well, then when they don't want to listen to that, I'll say, all of your clothes. Are they single fabric clothes? Right. Right. Um, do you eat shellfish? We start going through that list. Right. Okay, well, here's the, here's the thing with that. I've seen people do the same argument that I just did to say, well, the same book that's talking about homosexuality also mm -hmm. says you can't have shellfish or intermingled right. clothes. Okay, they're leaving out the fact that in the New Testament... It is specifically mentioned specifically over mentioned again. and over. And again, you have to go back to why is that? Why was that the law? I've also read in regard to the tattoo thing, I've also read that part of the... Um, the issue there was because slaves were marked right. for their slave owners. That's why it was so shameful in the Holocaust when right. Jews were marked with a tattoo um, because it was denoting ownership. And, and I was reading, a, I guess, a, a paper on it that was saying how the same way we have a Sabbath was established for the Jews because they had never known rest when they were under slavery. Right. That was part of why God didn't want them to mark their bodies anymore. Right. Okay, so you, you have to look at, I think, the heart of the law. Why? Why would God make this a law? Um, and was it for that time period and what was going on in that time? The same way we, we have laws today, right? So, um, for instance, let's, let's say we have laws about wearing seatbelts. Right. All right. Um, I could say to my kids, wear your seatbelt because that's the law. Instead, I say, you need to wear your suit, your suitcase, wear your seatbelt, yeah, wear your seatbelt seat 
that's the law because you could get hurt really badly if something happens. Right. I think it benefits us to not just know what God says about an issue, but why did he say it? Right. And to me, that's part of rightly dividing the right. word and understanding the law. When, when Paul had said there above, he says, this is coming from a clear conscience. This right. is coming from a good place. Right. I, and then it's this, what he's saying here is sandwiched between that and him coming in with his testimony and saying, I was the worst sinner. Right. Um, but, this, but still God has entrusted this to me. He had an understanding, I think, in his mind of we have to know what was God's heart right. behind the law. Right. right, exactly why it was written. And Paul, and when Paul talks about, for what it's worth, when Paul talks about homosexuality in Romans, I think he very plainly gives God's heart right. um, why it was a problem. Right. Um, when he talks about the, that people had begun to worship the creation instead of the creator. Right. So he's expressing that um, back. And so uh, to me, I don't know how you feel about that, but to me, um, it's important to understand. You can't just say, we don't do this. Uh, like like for drinking, for instance, we don't, in our church denomination, we, we believe in total abstinence from alcohol. Right. That's a hot button, even within the church. There, sure there are people in the church who disagree with that. That's fine. They're allowed to be wrong. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah. The reason it's important to me, I don't just tell people my church won't let me drink. I explain um, I don't believe in drinking because it's numbing my senses. It keeps me from hearing the voice of God, which is paramount to my faith. I think understanding those things, I think that's a deeper level that we should be ascending to the further we get into our faith. Right. Um, the law to me, the law, when he's talking about that it's for the sinners, I think what he's saying is those are the those are the guardrails to know where you're supposed to be. Right. To give you, these are the limits, these are the lines. It's like with a child, you got to set the boundaries so that they understand it. Right. Right? But as you get older, um, you know, and you don't have somebody there telling you more, you can't go past this spot. Because now your brain can comprehend, I don't need to go past this spot because uh, the terrain might be dangerous over there. Right. Somebody scary might be over there. Whatever the thing is, we have a deeper understanding. I think as our as we grow in maturity in Christ, we have a deeper understanding of why God demands certain things out of us. Because we're spending our time with God and we're learning His heart, um, we don't need the law at that point in the sense of like to tell you where the guardrails are because at that point, just like you talking about that the law was our, you said schoolmaster, right. your translation said. Um, the point is that we don't need that because now we're led by the Holy Spirit right. to do the right thing. And you mature. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that's that's another thought to it. Well, we're almost out of time. I don't know if you have another question for today. but we'll say, we'll, I think next week we come back, let's talk about Paul's testimony a little bit next okay, week. Okay, I think that's good. Uh, I just simply wanted to say that uh, when you talk about these are boundaries that, that help us to understand. Now, my, our two little, my two little grandson, your, your children, mm -hmm. they, they can stand in the yard and throw a football, right? I could stand in the yard and throw a football to another adult. Well, yeah. that other adult and I could go into the street and throw the football because we know the danger, mm -hmm. we know when to get out of the street mm -hmm. because a car is coming. Mm -hmm. But the little children don't understand that yet. Yeah. So we tell them, you stay there, 
You do not come out here. Mm -hmm. You stay there because it's, it's for their own safety. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Paul is saying. He's saying this is for your own good. And the final thing I want to say is that as you were talking, um, I've probably said this on a different podcast, but one of my favorite thoughts from one of the early church fathers was from St. Augustine, or Augustine as some call him. Um, he talked about things that were essential to going to heaven mm -hmm. and things that were not essential to going mm -hmm. to heaven. And he said, uh, in essentials, we have unity. So when something is essential, mm -hmm. uh, repentance, the uh, godly sorrow, mm -hmm. uh, the virgin birth, those things are essential to me. The soon returning Jesus Christ is essential mm -hmm. to me. Well, in those things, we agree that there will be no light between us, that we mm -hmm. will stand uh, side by side on what is essential. There's no arguing about it. Mm -hmm. There's no there's no giving room for interpretation about that. The Bible is our interpretation. Mm -hmm. But there are non-essentials. There are things that will not keep you out of heaven mm -hmm. as long as you have done them with good conscience and mm -hmm. good heart. And as long as they, they were, as I say, they were before the blood. They were before yeah. uh, Christ came into their lives. Well, on a non-essential, like is it wrong to chew chewing gum. <laughs> Believe it or not, when I was credentialed in 1981, we had a question we had to answer, mm -hmm. do you or your family use chewing gum? Mm -hmm. Well, in their minds coming from what was a, a Quaker background, they thought if you chew chewing gum, people are going to think you're chewing tobacco and it'll ruin your witness. Mm -hmm. Well, that's silly because mm -hmm. you don't spit when you chew chewing gum. <laughs> Right? I mean, you can figure that out. But in those, in those kind of things about chewing, chewing gum, whether mm -hmm. you go to a, a, a bowling alley, whether you, um, uh, whether you do any number of things, mm -hmm. if it's not essential to go into heaven, mm -hmm. then we give one another room mm -hmm. to interpret it for ourselves and live by our own something called a conscience. Mm -hmm. So in essentials, we have unity. Mm -hmm. In non-essentials, we give liberty. Mm -hmm. But in all things, we have charity. Mm -hmm. We must love one another, whether it's an essential or a non-essential. Mm -hmm. And you say, what if I don't like them? Well, he didn't say like them. Yeah. He said you must love one another. Well, I think there's, there's much to be said for when the word says that you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right. Right. Fear and trembling comes from having the awe of God, recognizing the holiness of God, and that he's the one I have to answer to. Exactly. I think... I, I get very frustrated when I see, especially churches that claim to be Holy Spirit led or in, in filled churches, we should be leading, I believe, Spirit led churches should be leading the pack in sense of trusting that people are working out their Sometimes, salvation yeah. and trusting that the Holy Spirit can work it out in them. When we cannot. Yeah, I, I had... Um, when I was first pastoring, I had someone who got upset with me um, because, not. yeah, no, um, <laughs> because they felt that people should be removed from the church who did not pay their tithes, mm -hmm. and um, that is not a test of membership that's been agreed in our church that you can't take put somebody out for that. Right. Um, my opinion is that if you're a leader in the church, it is a requirement of a leader um, right. because I, I hold I hold myself and other leaders to a higher standard and I think it's hypocritical not to tithe when you're benefiting from right. the tithe of the church. From the um, but 
I, I can't remove somebody for that reason. So this person called me all upset about it. And I said, I, I can't do that. And they said, but it's a teaching of our church to tithe. And I said, well, you're right. It is a teaching of the church, but it's not a test of membership. That's the rule. And they just, I mean, they were just going on and on. Well, this person happened to be a smoker, uh-huh. which our church also doesn't believe in. And I asked them, I said, uh, so you know the teaching of the church? Yes, I know the teaching. I, I went to a class. I know all the teaching of the church. I can guarantee you that person could not sit down and write me the teachings of the church. <laughs> but they, they said, uh, yes, I know them. And I said, so you know we have a teaching against tobacco. Right. And it just went quiet. Mm-hmm. I said, you think I should kick you out next? No. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, the point is I, I trust the Holy Spirit. I trust the work of sanctification. And I trust that if you take that to the Lord, he can remove that from you. Right. And I, I want to stand on the side of I gave someone time and grace to work that out. Yes. And I just believe we are really making the Holy Spirit small when we say, I have to be your convictor because I don't trust the Holy Spirit to be your convictor. Right. So these things that are not essential, these things that are, um, unless someone is speaking absolute heresy, which is a total different thing, or they are living a life that is so awful. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've known people, they chain smoke, they got a better attitude about them than than the people who live the cleanest in the church but are mean to people who walk in i i think we should be trusting the holy spirit in in those things to work to to work those issues out in people and that that our responsibility is to create spaces in our churches where the holy spirit moves freely and unfettered absolutely and that's my job is not to stand at the door and to assess everybody who walks into the door and to say these are all the things you're doing wrong in your life and you better get them right or don't come back here my job is come into this sanctuary and i seek the lord and i ask him come and change us and then i trust him to do that work and i don't interfere with the work that he is doing absolutely and anything we touch our hands, there are earthly hands that are touching them. But when God touches something, he makes it right, which he's done with both of us. Well, I think we've come to the end of this today. And I think it would be best to uh, conclude with a prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't mind, why don't you say that prayer today? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and this time that we have together. I thank you for your mercy, your goodness, and your love, Lord. I thank you. You've redeemed our life from the pit, put our feet on a firm foundation. You've established our goings. I thank you, Lord, that you take our sin and throw it as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. Lord, I thank you for each one who has listened to this podcast. Lord, I pray that they would grow in you. Lord, I pray that they would be equipped for every good work that you have for them to do. Lord, I pray that something they've heard today would hit them, Lord, the way that it needs to so that they would uh, become the person you're calling them to be, Lord. I pray in all things, God, that the church is edified and that you are glorified and that, Lord, we can end our day each day knowing we have done the best we can to serve you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to advice to the young preacher, uh, E.C. McKinley and Lindsay Schreiber. We hope you'll join us in the next episode of our podcast. In the meantime, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be unto you all. Amen.